Hey, you're listening to the Subclub Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Barnard, and with me today, Revenue Cat CEO Jacob Biding. Our guest today is Mike Overell, Revenue Lead at Class Dojo. Having founded his own company as well as working at McKinsey and Lyft, Mike is now using that experience to help every kid on earth get an education they love with Class Dojo. On the podcast, we talk with Mike about building a principled, mission driven app, keeping product development focused on the right customers, and how Class Dojo scaled to tens of millions of downloads without a marketing budget. Hey, Mike, thanks for being on the podcast with us today. I want to kick things off with just uh, a short description of what Class Dojo is, and then maybe even a little bit about your story of, of how you joined. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks, uh, David, Jake, and great to be here. Um, big fans, happy customers of what you're building at Revenue Cat. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Class Dojo, the simplest explanation is Class Dojo is a communication platform that connects teachers, families, and kids. So teachers anywhere in the world can, can download Class Dojo start communicating with families and use it during the day to do things like give positive feedback to kids, share photos, um, and they can do all of that entirely free. So for families, it gives much better visibility of what's happening with their kids during the school day. For kids, this usually shows up as a monster avatar, uh, which is often project, projected on the wall of the classroom. Um, and that just makes parts of the classroom experience much more fun and engaging uh, for kids. So that's like the functional explanation of, of Class Dojo. Um, it doesn't really explain the sort of the growth and insane love that we see from people who use the products all over the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll interrupt here and say I'm, I'm one of those like insane love people. Right. I, my son was at, some, at, a, at another preschool with a terrible app that, that was just abysmal to use. And we moved preschools and not because of the technology, but for other reasons. And his new preschool uses Class Dojo. And it was seriously like a breath of fresh air. That was one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the podcast. It is like, it is genuinely a fantastic app, which you just don't expect in the education space. So yeah, it, it, I can see why you have fans. I'm personally a huge fan and, and excited to have, talk more about uh, why that is and why the product is so great. But, but yeah, love to hear more about the business like class dojo is kind of one of those things like people who don't know don't realize what a big great business it is it's like you don't know if you don't and how know how long it's been around yeah i mean i think it's a decade now that class dojo has been since founding or something like this thereabouts yeah the the founders went through yc uh a good eight or nine years ago but yeah i so hey, david grateful um, always always great to meet happy users and grateful to your preschool <laughs> teacher whoever adopted uh class dojo there um I mean, it might help to step back. The vision of the company is to, to give every kid on earth an education they love. Um, that's been the vision since day one, since the founders went through YC. Uh, the vision has never to been something like to be the world's best communication platform for schools. And so one, one way we think about that on, in the team is for the first six or seven years of the company, it was really about earning the right to play uh, for the first part of that vision, which is to, was to build a network that had the potential to reach every kid on earth. Mm. So if you fast forward today, um, you know, just seeing this insane growth, we're in, you know, the presence in 95% of US schools, uh, it's almost entirely driven by word of mouth, there's zero marketing spend. Uh, Class Dojo is a brand that's loved by kids and teachers, you know, all over the world. We're in 180 something countries, uh, all organically to so far today. Um, and there's something like 50 million odd kids um, who are active in some way 
on the platform. So when folk learn about some of those stats and, and they hear that the team is only 100 people, it, it often raises a few eyebrows. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I was curious because I've seen that stat, I think, on the ClassDojo site. How do you measure the, the 95% penetration in U.S. schools? Yeah, that, those are um, schools in which we, we have at least or we know at least one teacher is, has adopted and is using ClassDojo. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the defining differences with ClassDojo versus many other products in this category, which is, you know, we've taken an entirely uh, consumer-focused growth approach. Um, so all of the growth has been user-led, bottoms up. Um, typically, a teacher will adopt the product and it will spread or expand within the school compared to, you know, the more traditional sort of B2B enterprise SaaS approach from, from any other companies yeah. in the space, which is to try to sell in at the school level or even the school district level. Yeah. So how do you balance that that tension that you you do need to kind of appease administrators that, you know, there's security and that, you know, there's not privacy issues or whatever, but then you need to like actually build for, I guess, the parents and the teachers, but then also like there are features for the kids. So it's like, you've got a lot of like stakeholders, you're kind of like juggling competing interests. How, how do you think about that from a product standpoint? And then again, like getting back to you, like, it's just a fantastic product. How did you build such a fantastic product? Like having to like appease so many people using the app. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think from day one, the team, it was sort of focused on who's the user of, of the product and who's the customer of education. And I think we just took a philosophical belief that the customer and end users of education are kids and their families. It's not schools and the school system. Um, right. So I think like there were a few implications of that approach. Um, the product was entirely free and remains free for teachers anywhere in the world to use. Um, we, we've said and continue to say it's it's completely free product for schools. So there was literally zero, zero monetization for the first six or seven years of the company's existence. And then product teams and, and the entire company are geared around how do we bring delight to end users, uh, like in day-to-day -day parts of, of their journey using the product. Um, so there's like a lot more nuance in terms of how we balance those competing user needs. But I think the main principle is that we see the users and the customer as kids and teachers and families, not as the administrators who are very important mm. stakeholders for us, but are not the primary users. I say, even though, even just those two stakeholders though, parents and kids, right? Uh, that's that's gotta make it an interesting challenge for your product teams and uh, maybe even so go to market. But it seems like your, your primary, in terms of monetization, like your buyer is then the parent, right? It's not the teacher necessarily, right? Correct, yeah, yeah, that's this like a core. One of our core revenue principles is, you know, consumer over enterprise. We sort of frame these as trade-offs, um, but very much try aiming to build a uh, consumer-led um, uh, product and and a business on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the the I was mentioning before the call a little bit, but like I think that probably plays into a lot of the um, the quality of the product, <laughs> if you will. Like <laughs> if you look at, it, it sounds a bit in reverse, but if you're if you're having to win not just one administrator's approval, right? One buyer's approval. You have to try a lot harder. The product has to be better or yeah. because you need to win thousands of people's approval, right? And like retain them and like get teachers to like tell their friends about it, right? You have to try a lot harder than if you had like, I'm sure the preschool software that David was referencing at the top of the call 
had a, re- a really great sales team and an okay product and they made it happen, right? And then they only had to convince one person to sign and send the check and do the fulfillment and all that stuff. Um, and then you just have this like buying process that's misaligned with the consumers of the software, which obviously the kids are not the buyers, right? But their parents are acting in their agency, right? Or age- as agents for them, um, which we generally as society has accepted, right? <laughs> as a way yeah. uh, to give agency to kids. But like, um, but yeah, I, 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 the very, it feels like this is the very related things, right? So the product ended up what ended up good. And also because of you brought it into the people using it, not necessarily to the people who would buy in a traditional environment. Uh, yeah, 100%. And, and I think the product is, it needs to be good in order to continue to earn the, the right to serve those end users. Um, so I think probably that is an outcome of the, you know, the design choice we took very early on in deciding who we were building for. I'm curious, you know, having used the product myself, like, I mean, pretty much daily, uh, it's fun getting to ask like more specific product questions, uh, then, you know, don't always get to, but, um, there are kids features in the app and I actually wasn't as aware of those until recently. I'm just, I'm curious, like how those have gone again, cause it's like, you really, as an app kind of tackling a lot, like there's kid focused features, there's teacher experience, there's parent experience. I'm curious kind of the thought process and even how things have gone with the more kid focused portion of the app. Yeah, that's uh, something that most of our product teams are thinking pretty actively about in one way or another. Um, if you go back to our vision, the only of those user groups that we mentioned in the vision is kids to give every kid on earth yeah. an education they love. And I think frankly, for the first few years while we were building the network, we were probably doing the least to serve kids directly. We, right. we were trying to access and serve kids by um, building presence and serving the teachers who, who were leading the kids and serving the families who supported the kids at home. So the, there, there are a handful of kid-focused features. There is a student login section of the app, probably the most like fun and engaging part of it. And it's where we see kids building strong emotional attachment with Class Dojo. As I mentioned, every kid is represented with a, a, a cute little monster avatar. And, and Class Dojo has a monster, it's called, it's called Mojo. Um, Mojo shows up in the product in a bunch of different ways, but, but every kid user can create their own monster and mm. customize parts of their monster to represent their own identity. And you obviously see these sorts of behaviors and loops happening on, you know, on kid-focused platforms everywhere across the internet. Um, right. We see it very actively. And why, one reason it's so powerful for kids is it gives them a sense of agency and identity. And many kids are sort of making their own choices within Class Dojo around how they want to show up uh, in class. And then if they've made a change, they've changed the eyes or the face or the costume on their monster. When they show up to school the next day, that's then projected on the wall in the classroom. And, and so there's this really interesting sort of, it's a virtual product loop, but it shows up in the real world, in the place where kids are spending, you know, six, seven hours of the day. Um, so it creates this really interesting sort of emotional attachment from kids with their own avatar. Um, and honestly, it just makes it a really fun place to work. I've got two young kids. Yeah. <laughs> we don't use Class Dojo with them, but they, they can come and see what I'm doing in the morning. And uh, daddy's friends at work uh, create monsters. And that's just like, <laughs> you know, a fun sort of, um, it's a fun way to how it shows up at home. Yeah, that's really great. Um, when you were kind of first kicking off this parent monetization strategy, I imagine there, there was a lot of thought that went behind it, maybe even some testing. What did that look like? Like, how did you 
launch that strategy. So I came on, you know, just in the last nine months, I think it was the fall, this past fall of 2021, when my son went into the kindergarten. And so that was already fairly fleshed out from what I saw coming into the app. Um, so I didn't see the kind of before and after, but it's, but I'm curious now, you know, having had such a good experience, like what product thinking and what experiments led you to building such a great experience for the parent around monetization? Uh, yeah, so we had about, I think we're in about our third year of, of monetization, the monetization journey as a company. The, the experiment started before I joined. I've been with Class Dojo now, about two years now. Yeah, I think philosophically, the, the first, our first revenue product was always going to be some flavor of a freemium subscription. Uh, I know the team explored a handful of other sort of paid products, downloadable content, um, you know, one-off purchases and the like. Um, but given the size of our network and, you know, I think our product philosophies of, um, you know, continue, not doing anything that would impede continued growth of that network and the scale, uh, there's always going to be some flavor of freemium subscription. Um, we're probably in the second or third iteration of that subscription now. So today it's called Class Dojo Plus. The, the main value that it provides um, parents is uh, it gives an upgraded experience on, on the core Class Dojo, which, which sort of gives them better insight and visibility into what's happening with their kids during the school day. Uh, previous flavors or iterations were a little bit more focused on uh, less on that sort of home to school connection. Mm. And maybe like the philosoph philosophically, the teams were looking to find ways to give parents tools that, that might help them raise good kids at home. So that's still a part of the product, but it's probably a secondary part now to the Class Dojo Plus, David, that you sound like you've experienced. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I my wife paid for the premium and uses it. And I'm just on the Thank premium. Thank you. I'm, I'm, great, I'm, I'm great grateful. <laughs> I see that there's like a family sharing feature in there and I need to just go like connect our accounts or whatever, uh, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, because David, don't be cheap. <laughs> just give him another 10 bucks a month, whatever. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's worth it. No, it's, I mean... It, but no, and this is something I appreciate about the product though, is like it's built in family sharing, which makes sense. Like if my wife is paying for our, our one child at this one preschool, like we shouldn't both have to have a subscription. And so there's a, a built in like class dojo specific family sharing feature. Um, I just haven't, I, my point was going to be though, that I haven't enabled it because the Premium experience, the free experience is so good. Like I haven't, I haven't. That was the last thing you want to hear a customer say. Felt <laughs> uh, the need yet? Well, maybe not. <laughs> no, it, I mean that's problem. the thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was gonna say too that um, you know all of this discussion so far about like building a fantastic product, about monetizing that product, everything else. I haven't heard a lot of talk of like A/B tests and like you know that kind of stuff. Mm. It, it sounds like there is a little bit more kind of philosophy behind the decisions and like product thinking did y'all do a b test did do you run that kind of those kind of experiments to kind of validate some of your product thinking or, or yeah what's the process there yeah that's a that's a really fun question um I, I think i can make a general statement is we're a fairly try to be fairly principled in the way that we work both within product and elsewhere so it's often most of our vision docs or specs will start with what are the principles by which we're what's the starting point here um, as a product team, I came from Lyft, which was, you know, a live marketplace. Yeah. It's, it was a heavily quant data-driven sort of product environment just by virtue of scale. Uh, I think one big surprise and learning for me at, at Class Dojo was just how much more user-focused we were in our product discovery process. 
there's a really healthy rigor from, from PMs and designers of putting something in front of users multiple times a week, you know, shipping prototypes, mm. getting feedback on designs, et cetera. But on the growth teams, uh, I would say uh, very uh, quant- driven by the data, what we learn in, in A-B te- and other types of tests, um, working to ship at a very high velocity of experimentation, um, looking to find the winners and then scale them up, um, which is like, it was like a maturity on experimentation that was sort of pleasantly surprising to me um, coming into the team that two years ago was 50 people, we're 100 people today. Um, but like a really incredible sort of data and data engineering team that's, that's enabled some of that velocity uh, within our product teams. And, and on that topic, like how, how do you think about, and we, we haven't even talked about the specifics of, of what's paywalled and what's not, but I'd love to hear what is paywalled and what's not and how you think, how the thinking behind building it out that way. Hmm. Um, uh, you'll get sick of me saying the principle, but I think one thing we <laughs> never do is you know, I think we believe that the core sort of use cases of Class Dojo should always remain free, both both for teachers and parents. We never want the paywalls or the business objectives to get in the way of core value that, that all users are getting from the product or putting up barriers that would prevent some users from uh, you know, receiving that value just because they don't want to pay for a premium product. So there's probably one guardrail is there's like some core set of experiences that we would we would never look to block or, or monetize because which is a that. it's a limitation that a lot of uh, I wouldn't say your peers necessarily in the subscription consumer land, but you know I don't know if you make whatever your app if you can't afford it it's, it's not all that serious, right? But in this case, like if somebody can't afford some feature that you put behind the paywall, like that's hurting people, right? So it's it's definitely starting with one kind of one hand tied behind your back a little bit. Yeah, so so we've experimented with a lot. We've experimented adding premium features. We've experimented sort of introducing some friction to the free experience that we think wouldn't harm sort of too much too much of the core experience. Um, it's a really fun sort of ongoing debate and set of experiments. Um, we feel good about the mix of where we are today, and and we sort of hear that from users, sort of qual and quant, and some of the sort of sentiment surveys that we've set up. Um, but it is a really fun area of. Um, you know, ongoing experimentation. Yeah, I mean, it's even kind of funny. I mean, I've, 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 we talked about this a few times already, but the fact that I love the app so much and I'm a free user and my wife loves the app so much and she paid and and like, you know, I'm assuming she she experiences it slightly different than me, but it, it, it's just really unique to have a product that that is so loved even without having to pay so well, it went a very long time i mean you said monetization only started in the last few years right like it was it was op- which creates its own challenges right when you're an app that has set the expectation that like you know this is a lot of people probably didn't even think you were a business right <laughs> like, <laughs> that was probably a shock <laughs> and now to like try to introduce that uh yeah it's definitely a challenge most apps don't have to deal with yeah that has been a really fun and um i would say challenging but like a very um tried to be thoughtful about the ways that we've introduced those the, the concepts of monetization to our teacher audience um mm. you know teachers we really we've grown to the scale that we have because um, you know teachers start using dojo they refer it to their to, to colleagues and, and they keep using it year after year so we need to be sensitive to never do anything that would breach that trust or that brand um you know relationship um 
So I think there's there's things we could have done a lot better over the last couple of years there, but it's, you know, the teacher community is one that we um, do spend a lot of time uh, listening to. Yeah, I mean, that, there just has to be a lot of, um, so I use the overused term leverage there, right? If you're marketing or communicating or investing in teachers, right? They're the ones that are going to then bring you to 20, 30 households or whatever it is. Uh, but I can also, on the flip side of that, imagine that if you do something that causes a, a, a teacher to catch flack, which they already catch all the time from te- from parents, right? Uh, that could be a moment that really flips. I mean, it goes back to the, the conversation at the beginning. It's just like how having all these different stakeholders and like very different kind of, you know, four, really four, <laughs> you have teachers, admins, parents, and kids, right. And all have very different needs. And with some, some with like asymmetric risk, right. Um, if you, if you alienate them, um, but, but yeah, I'm curious, like what, uh, like, what do you, when you're thinking about growth, right. And with, especially with that teacher community, like, how do you, how do you build a growth engine that works with them or like leverages that advantage you have mm. yeah one of our uh one of the big areas of investment for us at, at, across the company is um what we're thinking of as network growth is, is continuing to find ways to build that and you know drive that growth engine um and by that i mean like user user growth and engagement not monetization a few big levers that we're focused on um one is international we've had almost no deliberate focus on international growth um but we see something like thirty percent of our users are outside the U.S. today. Is your is your do you have like content localized and stuff? Or we do have um, translations um, in parts of the core product experience. Um, and a huge unlock for us, um, even within the U.S., was um, you know as a communication app, we can now we run uh, all messages and communication through a translation engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a not uncommon experience in parts of the yeah. U.S. where that you know that. There are parents who don't speak English or they don't speak another language that the teacher is. And that's a huge blockage to them understanding what's happening with their kids in class, how they can best support their kids' growth. Um, yeah, so that was like a very, a very powerful unlock. That, that has to make you feel pretty good. Because imagine that the outcomes for those kids, if the parents and teachers, yeah. I, mean that, I mean, I'm just speculating, but if there's a lack of shared language between educators and parents, like there's just going to be... Probably, I mean, <laughs> depends on. I, in my case, if my parents couldn't talk to my teachers, that probably would have been better. But like, uh, but I imagine for most kids, it's probably a benefit uh, to have them be able to communicate, right? Like, I, I can't imagine that hurts outcomes, right? That's pretty fascinating. That's just computers are great, right? Isn't that awesome? Sorry, I just having a moment. <laughs> well, it takes a village, and you know, I think that's that's a big part of what we would love for Dojo to become in in the lives of these users is sort of the the virtual village that brings together all the stakeholders centered around the kid, right. So you you mentioned at the outset that Class Dojo doesn't spend a lot on marketing or anything. I think is what you said. So how do you how do you leverage that teacher network? How how do teachers discover the app if if you're not specifically you know targeting them with with marketing? Yeah, we our marketing team is is a pretty new addition. Um, uh, only in the last couple of years since I've been at the company, right? Um, so I think if you asked the question, um, you know, a couple of years ago, most of the team would have said, um, the product experience is what drives growth. And we tried to craft parts of that experience with growth loops in mind, whether those were, you know, word of mouth loops or or referral loops, but it probably started with the, the product experience. The, the one other big sort of pillar or, or sort of marketing area that, that has been really powerful for the team has been community marketing. So we have really active groups 
um, of, of our teacher community. Um, we have mentors that's sort of like a, a super tier of teacher who, who take on some responsibility to sort of train and support other users within the school. And then we have just broad teacher communities um, sort of in the plus hundred thousand uh, number um, wow. on Facebook. And if you jump on Twitter and search, there's just like a bunch of love and, and sort of support the teachers share with each other um, on the webs. So now that you do have a marketing team, what, what are, what are their, what's their focus to kind of start taking things to the next mm, level? Yeah, probably the two or three areas. Um, one is you, you classically call growth marketing, um, you know, and goals are around, uh, you know, growing the size of the network. One of the key levers there, uh, we believe is uh, helping to accelerate the expansion of Class Dojo within schools where we already have one teacher. Mm. Um, so we count, we, count, we count a school as active if there's one teacher, but the class social experience is so much better if, if all teachers in the school are using it. And we see that show up right. in all the sorts of engagement metrics and, and retention. So that's a big one. Um, we're making big investments in brand. Brand is important. It's been, a, it's been a really strong driver of growth for us. And we're starting to be a lot more deliberate in terms of how we're sort of telling the brand story and, and driving some growth there. And I already mentioned international, but that'll be a big, big focus for the marketing team. When, when your, your market is every parent, student, and teacher in the U.S., brand marketing actually starts to make a lot more sense. I mean, <laughs> you know, brand marketing kind of gets uh, uh, dragged on, you know, within the app growth community as being, you know, unmeasurable, wasted spend sometimes or, you know, wishful thinking. But actually makes a lot of sense here. You've got a, a heck of a market to be uh, uh, messaging to. So I imagine that's a, a, a fun challenge to, to think about. And I would say even yes, and even more than that, the opportunity to build the defining consumer brand in education is, is something that motivates us and we think is within reach. Finally, I feel like <laughs> is, is, does, does a brand, does any come to mind? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like this has been the, the, you know, there's been people trying to do this and I mean, I elevate the company I used to work at previously was in ed tech as well. And like, I know how hard it is, right? Like it's, it's because of some of the structural challenges with buyers, some of the, the just, I don't know. I, I think also just, yeah, all kinds of structural challenges in building in this space. So, um, but it's, it's, it's like kind of all things in consumer software. And I would just say software in general, it's that like, it's not if it's when, right. Um, and maybe the, the moment for like a truly great, not <laughs> I mean, when you were talking about branding, I was just like imagining what the brand name for this, uh, unnamed, uh, crappy, uh, management software from the other preschool Dave is referencing, but it's probably called like learn sys or something. And it's like, <laughs> it was you know, just like just the worst logo in the world. And then you think about, you think about class dojo, you got this fun monster and now you got monsters, whatever. And it's, it's yellow. It's just like a school bus. Like it's got this like very, you know, green. So like the, the colors are very, you know, I, I I'm with David and it matters and it matters because you have this like bulk to market into. Right. Um, yeah. and, and, and you're riding this wave. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of, uh, I mean, even a revenue cat, I think like moving into an enterprise software sale has been a bit of a, a drag, a, like bit of a challenge for me <laughs> to like get excited about. Cause it's just like, I like when, you know, people can pick tools and move really quickly. Right. And I think that's what class digital does. Right. Um, and maybe that's, you know, probably a number of different things, right. That are coming together to allow that to happen. But, um, yeah, I think it's a really, uh, 
it's exciting time to to finally see it happening, right? Especially after, yeah, I looked it up. Winter 2012 was uh, Class Dojo's NYC. So coming up on 10 years. Coming up on 10 years, wow. we better celebrate, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with all these different stakeholders and, and, and growing among the teacher community, I was originally going to ask you a question about, and I still will, about churn among parents and, and students where like you, you have this, it's kind of like Tinder. If like the app is successful, like they're going to churn out. Um, but it dawned on me in this conversation that you're really forming that kind of bulkhead amongst the teachers more so than the parents and students individually. So it, how do you think about um, revenue being dependent on parents who are going to naturally churn um, but then kind of your bulkhead being amongst the teachers who, who might, you know, generally are going to teach for 40, 50 years or whatever that is. Yeah, that, it's a really fun and interesting question, especially when we try to dig into some of our retention and renewal metrics mm-hmm. to try to unpack. Your growth model is like completely different from any other consumer app. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, Maybe, yeah, yeah. And on the teacher side, um, this was news to me, but um, there is surpri- surprisingly high turnover of teachers in and out of the industry. Um, it's really? something in the high teens of percent. Fact check me on this; it's probably wrong, but it was a surprisingly high number. And then on top of that, there's some surprisingly high percentage of teachers who are shifting from one school to another from from year to year. Um, right. Which has a pro and a con. For us, it's a pro. It's sort of like a natural seeding of class dojo mm-hmm. into new school environments. Um, the con is often we lose that sort of one node in that school network where the teacher was previously in. Right. Um, but on the parent side, it's really interesting because, you know, kids, kids get older and we, yeah. we have a sweet spot today. It's under, th- it's under 13. It's probably like four to five through to 13 is, is really our sweet spot demographic. And, you know, once kids age out, uh, Often what happens is they age into classes where the teacher's not using class dojo, or maybe it's just like less valuable because there are different needs that happen in a classroom, like workflows, the ability to like download and upload an assignment as one example. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's funny, we haven't found great ways to strip that sort of natural churn out of our subscription retention metrics. But we see, we're sort of surprisingly pleased even two or three years into our monetization journey, sort of what we're seeing there. And it's sort of like 12-month re- renewal rates in sort of the 30-40% range um, before we account for sort of what's the natural churn of families, you know, off the platform. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like most likely they're, you, you've got, you know, not tens of years, but, you know, upwards of 10 years of need from a customer that you can convince once, right? So, like... You divide that out by what a typical consumer app churn is. It's might not actually the natural churn is not going to be all that like big in the equation necessarily. It will be a component, and it's probably more than some other apps might have. But um, but you more than make up for it on just the stickiness and the fact that it's it's a network to begin with, right? Anything that has network effects, like where you're communicating with other people, is going to push in your direction, right? Like um, that's going to help you. It's going to just I'm sure with your usage retention, it helps as well, right? And so just typically correlate, um. And so how do you, um, I, I imagine that, uh, maybe more so than like the long term of natural churn, I imagine, um, seasonality plays a big part in your business, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like how do you live in that environment? Mm, this has been true for the life of the company. There's this, there's this mythical time of the year called back to school. And it, <laughs> it starts around mid August and it goes through to roughly end of October. So it's this two and a half, three month period 
that we have to start gearing up for in the middle of summer break. So there's there's this folklore within the company of, of sort of the all-nighters that the engineering team would be pulling just to keep <laughs> the lights on when we see these huge spikes of um, new user acquisition. Uh, well before we even had revenue products, it's, it's probably when we saw 90% or thereabouts of, of our user growth in that like very defined period. Funnily, COVID had, was, was a real um, boost to us there. Uh, I don't know if you'll remember, but a bit over two years ago exactly, there was this weekend in late February, early March, where the world shut down over a weekend. Yeah, I vaguely remember something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, having four kids who were all in school at the time, I, I, don't, I don't remember. It, it wasn't a speed bump at I'm all. So, it changed our lives dramatically. <laughs> And schools like clicked their fingers and went from in-person to remote overnight. Yeah. And the schools weren't equipped, certainly families and teachers weren't equipped. Um, yep. But we just saw this, this enormous influx of user acquisition, spikes in engagement, and it forced the team to, again, there are like mythical uh, stories around what, <laughs> what our engine infra team sort of achieved in that period and just all hats off to them. But it now forced them in, in some ways to... to scale up parts of our system that we wouldn't think we'd have to do for two, three, four years. And so the couple of back to school spikes we've seen since then have been, there've been much fewer sort of late nights and, and cold sweats <laughs> because we had to go through that scale up experience. I mean, it's a classic, um, I mean, you can just understand, people talked about the COVID experience or like the COVID effects on markets and technology adoption is as not necessarily being like a, a spike, but more like an acceleration, right? Like you can, you can just, Imagine the teacher or the school that like was scrambling, obviously didn't, not gonna have time to go through some like, oh, we need a remote learning tool buying process, right? <laughs> and they're like, hey, like this app, go to the app store, teachers, like try it out. You know, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't know if that happened, but you can imagine. And I mean, it goes back to just why this is a better way to buy software in general, right? It's like when yeah. the users can pick it up, it's off the shelf. It's like, let the computers be free. I mean, there's there's reasons software gets bought at the enterprise level um, for sure, but I don't know if they're necessarily good reasons. Right? They're just, <laughs> just the way it is, right? Yeah, I mean, so many of the great SaaS products of the last decade have been bottoms up. Like they know, add SaaS enterprise Slack, later, yeah. Snappier, like a lot of these, it's like it came from one employee being able to adopt it, see the power and then push it up the stack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big believers in, in bottom, bottoms up growth. Um, you know, we, we, we still, and companies like Slack still have to solve the, you know, challenges like data security and privacy and some really complicated hairy areas. Um, and that's true in this space, maybe even more true, um, given the sort of the age brackets we're working with. Yeah. I mean, the, um, having the one, one, one advantage that Costojo has, I think that that's not like is not true for most other like random consumer. Well, I mean, if you talk to some of those examples, like a Slack, right? Like that's something where, yeah, some one person brings it in and then it has a network effect, right? Um, and I actually wonder if more um, app, you know, random app developers should consider like, do you have a network effect? Is there something you can build? And like, that's, I mean, having like share cards or something is not really what I'm talking about, but like, is there some yeah. way to really create connection within your app? Because I mean, the fact that, well, the fact that you haven't, you know, when somebody says I haven't had to spend a ton on marketing, it's like, well, you have a really great product <laughs> or, and you're like probably in some sort of market, you have some sort of market dynamic that allows you to not have to do that. Right. Um, but those are often the, like the best ones to have, right. Rather than having to dump right, yeah. millions of dollars into like buy to churn and then replace, like figure out like what's, you know, in your case, it was like, 
getting a teacher to make this make their lives easier so that they spread it to and then of course there's like the network of spreading within the school buildings but yeah it lets you sidestep this entire you know and now and now you mentioned prince being principled and i think that sometimes also is a luxury of a team that has like great product and a good market right and like you've earned it right that you've been around and lived it a long time but uh uh, I, and I think like, this will be my last like philosophical point, I promise. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that's actually kind of where we're going with consumer subscription in general, right? Is it, it does like, if we're building apps that are truly value adding for people, right. And like, we're truly, we're not just like trying to get them in and turn them out. We're actually building something people want to use for a long time. It allows you to be principled, right. Because you can right. then like take a really long view. You can really think about, you can go back to that vision of like, Hey, like we're doing this to improve the lives of kids, right? Like or to, to improve education, like we can have this very like long vision and you figure out the monetization and, and, and get it aligned just enough. Um, and and you're, you're necessarily, your whole company doesn't necessarily have to become about like the growth part, right? Um, which I think actually is it's important, but imbalance. So done with my philosophy. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump in here as a, as a user, but also because I, I think it's especially interesting, given everything we've discussed, where, where does Classico Dojo go from here, especially product wise? Like, what do you, I know you probably can't share a ton, but I just love to hear, you know, what, what y'all are thinking and what direction you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I mentioned that the, you know, the first what, six, seven years of the company were about sort of the first part of the vision, which is building a network. That had the potential to reach every kid on earth. Then we talked about how kids are, you know, caught to the vision, but they're probably the audience that we have built the least for um, up to now. So as we look ahead, I think one thing that we're super energized by is, you know, starting starting to deliver more on the second part of the vision, which is giving kids an education they love. And right. you know, we're not looking to replace the classroom, but um, you know, we are seeing more and more of kids' lives and our lives go you know, virtual or hybrid virtual. And when we think about like, what are the limitations on kids' education today? A big part of it is, is zip code and, and what part of mm. the world or the country or the city that you were born in or where you live. And we were really excited about like the power of the internet and networks to sort of democratize or remove some of those barriers. Mm-hmm. And so starting to build more uh, learning experiences, you know, fun online experiences, you know, hybrid, um, you know, learning and uh, educational experiences, social experiences for kids. That's sort of the broad thrust of the direction that, that, that we're moving in from here. Um, and there's just a lot of excitement on the team to uh, be able to talk more about what we're doing there. Yeah. Have you, um, uh, not to, to derail, but have you found uh, device access to be a limiting factor for kids? Like, I don't know what the status quo is now. You know, parents obviously are going to have a phone. Teachers are going to have a phone, but to get to kids, I mean, especially in that age bracket, it might be, you know, spotty and um, they might have a school issue thing or something like that. How, what is, how does class teacher think about that problem? Yeah. So I don't think we're experts yet, but, um, you know, it, it seems like phones are sort of coming in, it keeps getting younger each year, but it's sort of like the, the 10, yeah. 11, 12, where phones really sort of oh, start wow. to spike. <laughs> it's scary. But, yes. but tablets and iPads have, have really come down in age and it's maybe not that you're average two or three-year-old has their own tablet device, but they tend to have access to a device and it's somewhere mm-hmm. around those age brackets. I know for our kids, it was probably around two that we started to give them access to an iPad, but it was an iPad that was very carefully curated in terms of what right. contents, what apps, what experiences were on yeah. it. You're, you're, you're probably just starting to experience this, Jacob, with your, your daughter's age, but my four-year-old 
uses my wife's phone a ton, which kind of mm. drives me nuts because he like rearranges stuff and <laughs> has randomly texted a few people, but like she doesn't care. So like there is, uh, you know, parents will pass off their device to the kids, even if they don't have access, even if the kid doesn't have direct access to their own device. So there, there is some level of access. Um, but yeah, all my kids now have my old, the old iPads that, that I did testing sure. on. I just keep passing them down to them. It goes back to those trends, right? They're talking about like, why now? Right. And that's another yeah. one of the things feeding this is that, that there's been enough generations of phones and tablets that there's hand-me-downs, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, we were going back to your question about zip code. I was thinking like, oh, well, this is great. Like, you know, software is very cheap and you can push it into, you know, re regardless of the socioeconomic condition of a certain zip code, you can push it in, but device access might, there might, might be other limitations, right? But like, yeah. those are problems, like you can continually solve, right? Like as you move further and further in, in achieving the mission, right? Once you have this platform and frankly, revenue engine, right? To, to achieve those things, it's, it's pretty exciting. And, and it's crazy though, too, that, that hardware has traditionally been a bigger limiting factor, but exactly to your point, like a decent Android phone that can run Class Dojo well is like 50 bucks, hundred bucks now. It's mm. like the Fire tablets are, are pretty good little devices for kids and they're dirt cheap. Um, so like, I mean, you know, for, for certain communities that might still be a barrier, but it's just less of a barrier than it's ever been, which is pretty incredible. It's going down yeah. and it'll continue to go down, right? Like it's not, these devices are not getting more expensive mm. in the next decade, yeah. most likely, unless we run out of, unless Tesla uses all the batteries. Yeah. yeah which <laughs> might happen. Um, I think, uh, not to get on the soapbox, but I think some one thing we think about a little is, uh, I think we'll evolve our thinking of, of, you know, binary, is screen time good or bad as like a net construct? and. You know, I think for some parents, there's much more nuance now. There's good time, good screen time or less good screen time. And there's almost like a spectrum. And there's probably a few yep. dimensions to that spectrum about like how, how good you feel about your kids spending certain amounts of time doing certain things on screens. Um, and that's certainly something that we're thinking a lot about. Not so much like are screens good or bad, but what makes for quality, productive time uh, engaging with a, a motor like that. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a... Good broader question for society at large. <laughs> like, as, as, as more and more of us just spend time in front of screens. But yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, the amount of, I mean, we, we, my daughter's not of the class dojo age certainly yet, but uh, uh, there's a lot of great apps at her age that are amazing. Again, I know qualms. Like she learns all kinds of words, like all this. I'm like, you know, I don't know. Right. Like this nuanced take and sort of, um, also probably waiting on more research to come out and things like this is probably somewhat important as well. But, um, also anecdotally, like, uh, there's no, there's no, there's no stopping it right at this point. Like this, this, this technology and these devices are so powerful and cheap and everywhere that, um, you know, we should just expect, and we need people to put like, there's so much garbage on these devices, right? <laughs> like, uh, we need people to be building like class dojo and, and others to be building good content experiences, um, to like ideally have, have choices because like, yeah, you're up against a lot of, uh, folks who are, let's say less principled. That's what I think <laughs> we're talking a lot about principled, right. <laughs> and competing for kids like attention on the devices. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Well, Jacob, you're, I mean, it sounds like you're talking about almost like those single player experiences and there's like a spectrum of them that you're sort of more or less happy about. But once you introduce like the social or the interactive element with users at other 
strangers on the internet. That's like a whole other vector. And it's one that we're spending oh, yeah, a lot yeah. of time thinking about. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah, the internet yeah, I keep- when I was like 10 and like, <laughs> mm, <laughs> not looking forward to it. My daughter's got a device with it already. She's two. I mean, she doesn't own it, but uh, she might as well. As, as you keep talking about like all the principled positions and, and how principled you know, class Jojo thinks about these things. I keep thinking like, it's great to have the watchers on the wall. Like, it, like, I mean, seriously, like, as you described class Jojo's like thought process behind building this software, it makes me feel better as a parent that there are companies out here, out there thinking in this way about the products. Cause exactly like Jacob said, it's like, I see just so many apps that are more focused on more focused on monetization, more focused on like experiences that aren't beneficial to kids, more focused on just other things and, and aren't very principled about how they approach those things. So it, it's really encouraging to, to hear how Class Dojo thinks about these things. So thanks, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I did, before we wrap up, I, I did want to shift focus just a, a tiny bit. Um, so you ran a, a recruiting, uh, I guess a, a recruiting platform for a while where you worked with a ton of recruiters and in the insane um, uh, hiring uh, uh, frenzy that's going on right now, I think a lot of our listeners are, you know, have funding and are trying to hire. So I, I just didn't want to end the podcast without getting your thoughts on like, <laughs> how to hire right now. Oh. And I imagine you're hiring, you know, uh, you've hired yeah, you a lot. You don't give away past. your secrets. That's the thing, <laughs> David. You, yeah, everybody's, everybody's clawing for alpha right now. So Mike, you should, uh, you yeah, should what, what, uh, throw out some bad share? advice. That's, that's what you should do. <laughs> this, this microphone that was playing up earlier, I think it's just about to introduce a bunch of static. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, wow. It is a crazy market, um, for, for, for context. Um, you know, I've probably spent 80% of my time this year on hiring and talent in one form or another. You know, Dojo were 100 people, but we're aiming to be 200 within 12 months. I think two things, I mean, two things I think we're seeing in the current market, it almost is like a competing dynamic. It's exceptionally competitive for great people. And we're also seeing a bunch of big companies that are in some way struggling in public markets and share prices are depressed. And, and so we are seeing movement from folk in, in much bigger companies who are maybe, um, you know, not feeling great about the, the future there. Um, two, uh, maybe two generalized takeaways, which I don't think is giving away any super secret here, but for the people we talk to, th- there's just almost number one reason or thing they're caring about, um, is alignment with mission, with purpose, with, right. with culture of the company. Um, and I saw this at Lyft, like Lyft is a fairly mission forward company, especially compared to its main competitors. Um, at Class Dojo, that's absolutely true and with the mission and the vision we're going after it's it's not hard to get people excited about the real world impact there and the other maybe obvious one with everyone now working remotely or from a home office is geographic barriers are just smashed within reason um you know we're a completely remote team um, but we do limit limit within time zones because we think that sort of overlap within the working day and the ability to collaborate synchronously even over video is still very important to, to building great products and experiences and, and you know solving hard problems. Um, so we hire almost everywhere in US time zones. Um, we have folk in Europe, but like Europe is harder for us until we have yeah. a, a, enough of a presence there. Um, but if someone's in the Bay Area or they're in Boise or they're in uh, Peru, which is where some recent hires of ours came from, it almost makes no difference. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the, I love the, the mission and 
values and culture aspect of it. I think for anybody recruiting, I mean, we don't, if, if, if somebody's at this stage, if you have to go beyond, I mean, you should get your compensation and that stuff figured out, but if you have to go beyond the mission and values and culture, like, especially if you're a startup, like don't push it to, you know, if somebody's not excited about that stuff, like if that's not enough to sell them, like that's probably a good sign that maybe this isn't optimal. Right. Um, because you know, and when you, I mean, and that's going back to principles and just having, you know, have a purpose to your company. Right. Cause as you were alluding to other, some other large rideshare companies that I'm, I'm sure I can imagine, uh, uh, if you know, you feel like your primary driver is money or whatever, like, you know, it's not going to be, why are you there? Right. Like you're going to lose who you are really fast. So, um, anyway, it's hard. hard hiring is hard. Really hard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and and speaking of which, do you, do you have any active roles that you're hiring for right now, Mike? I mean, it sounds like a fantastic company to work for. I, I would be uh, not doing my job if I didn't give a plug, but we're hiring <laughs> leaders across almost every function, um, especially in engineering. Um, we have a few hiring principles, but one of them is we tend to hire for talent over roles. So we, mm. we tend not to create a square-shaped hole and then look for square-shaped people to fit that hole. Um, we, we tend to sort of have some softer uh, attributes and values that we really care about in, in the people we work with. So we're a small team, small but mighty team. Um, for, for the engineers listening, any almost any metric sliced per employee uh, would, would would raise eyebrows. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a, yeah um, I would. I'm sure we can leave some contact details in um, in the show notes somewhere. But um, yeah, we're looking for amazing world class people across every function. Awesome. Yeah, we'll leave um, links to to your uh, your Twitter, LinkedIn, and then Class Dojo and, and the Class Dojo jobs page as well in the show notes. So if you're if you're looking for that, go to the show notes. But Mike, it was so much fun talking to you today. And uh, again, I mean, uh, spread the word inside Class Dojo that uh, you have a huge fan <laughs> in me, and that uh, it just genuinely just such a breath of fresh air to use uh, Class Dojo after the after the many painful experiences I had with previous educational software. So thank you for what you do. And then also thank you for being a guest today. Thanks for having me, David Jacob. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Mike. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. 